the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. Hello, America. I want to take you back to June. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Masterpiece Cake Shop owner, Jack Phillips, after he refused to make a custom wedding cake for a same-sex wedding. We we all remember this, but I will uh, remind you that when that that, uh, uh, case was settled and the ruling came out, we read it carefully and said we were concerned that what the court was actually doing, Anthony Kennedy was saying, you know, look, state of Colorado, here's what you did wrong. If you just wink, wink, nod, nod, don't say these things, this would probably fly through. I was concerned at the time that this was um, an instruction manual for how states could discriminate quietly. The problem was, is the court said, you discriminated outwardly. You said it was because of his religion. You can't do that. But if you didn't do that. The left is after him again. And I have to tell you. I don't know how this guy goes on. He's a baker. My father was a baker. My father uh, fought to keep his. Uh, his business running. He had all kinds of pressures on him, usual business pressures. And then the stores, the grocery stores started making cakes and they started making baked goods uh, and they'd make them right there in the grocery stores, which hadn't been done. And my father's business just took another hit and another hit and another hit. The stress on a small business owner is enough. Now, here's a guy who is so faithful to what he believes. You don't have to believe it, but what he believes that he won't even make a cake for Halloween. Okay, he says it's against my religion. I don't believe Halloween is a good thing. Now, I know some people who are like, oh, trick-or-treating, that's just bad. I'm not one of those guys. And in fact, I think you're taking things too seriously. However, I may be wrong. I let my kids go trick-or-treating, and I don't have a problem with it. And I, quite frankly, when I was younger, I probably made fun of people who were like, oh, my gosh, Halloween is so bad. I don't anymore because I, I... Who am I to say what is ultimately true and not? You can believe whatever you want. Isn't that what America is really all about? So here's a guy who won't make a cake for Halloween, and they are harassing him. They have tried to get him to make cakes in the shape of Satan's penis, I don't know how they know what that is, looks like, but they're, I mean, they've done everything. Tried to, tried to make him make cakes for drug use, Satanism, orgies. I feel sorry for his staff. 
My mother and my sisters used to be the ones that worked the front of the counter, and my dad and I would work in the back. My sisters and my mother were the ones that used to have to take the phone call. I don't know how anybody survives an onslaught, persecution, not prosecution, persecution, taking phone calls and having people describe how they want the, the phallic symbol to look and him to make the cake. How, how much does somebody have to take in today's America? Same guy's been coming in over and over again, trying to get him to make all kinds of cakes. And finally, he said, I want a transgender cake. I'm I'm making the transition cake. And I want pink cake and blue icing because it shows my fluidity. He said no. So now the Colorado Civil Rights Commission is going after him for discrimination. Colorado, you really should be ashamed of yourself. You really should be. Why? Why? Why do you? Why do you feel it is your right to be able to force anyone to do something against their conscience? This guy is not just some bigot. This guy won't make a Halloween cake. This guy deeply believes in something. What are you going to do? You going to burn him at the stake next? When he still won't make the cake? What do you want from him? You want compliance. That's what you want. You want compliance. The guy has a conscience. And you may disagree with it. But it is a deeply held belief. You can call it crazy or whatever you want, but it's not about you. How did you feel when people forced you into the closet because of their deeply held belief? Didn't feel good, did it? When you had to live a lie, when you had to pretend to be something just so you weren't persecuted and prosecuted. Boy, look at that. How times have changed. Boy, you're showing them, huh? Yeah, you're showing people what it was like to feel like that. Oh, my gosh. I understand that, but that is the basis of of human indignity. That is... That is a animal man. Understandable feeling. But what makes you actually a human is you are not, you are above the animal kingdom. And you strive to be more. And you say, I am going to suppress my animal desire to rip the throats out of anybody who disagrees with me because I was forced to do this for so long. And in doing so, if you do not suppress it, you become everything you despise. So here's this guy who just wants to have a bakery. That's it. He's becoming one of the most famous bakers in the world. Why? You didn't see anybody filing lawsuits because he wouldn't make a Halloween cake. 
or a Valentine's cake. He's had enough. And quite honestly, if you can't put yourself in his shoes, I question, I question whether or not you're even connected to anything other than politics and political correctness. We're talking about human beings. Who didn't feel for Caitlyn Jenner? I don't call Bruce Jenner Caitlyn Jenner because people force me to. I don't refer to him as her, even though X and Y, man, science, science, biology says he will always be a man. But I refer to Bruce Jenner as Caitlin, and I say he's her, not because it's scientific fact, and not because anybody put a gun to my head. I say it because I have compassion for him. I say it because when I first heard his story about how he lived his entire life, and he, he felt he was a fraud the whole time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you had to live that way. I don't know what I would do. I know what I can do. I can show you compassion. But that's not even good enough. That's not even good enough. I, I have to claim that Caitlyn Jenner is a beautiful, strong woman. No, no, she's not beautiful. She looks like a man in a wig with a dress. If he, if, 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 if he wants to identify as a woman, okay, all right. It doesn't affect my life. I am not going to teach my children something that is not based in science. But that's me. That's my choice. That's my choice from my conscience of what I believe is right. Just like you have a conscience and what you feel is right, you have a right to do. But I don't have a right to force you to live what I think is right, and you don't have a right to force me. We, you know how many billions of people are on the planet? There's a lot of us. I don't think we're all going to agree on stuff. In this lawsuit, Phillips says that his family has lost 40% of his income due to just the harassment he has received. He says he and his employees are forced to complete a re-education program. When I talk to you about the re-education camps that China is building, we're disgusted by that. We're no different now. 
He has to go into a re-education program about not exercising his faith at work. Well, you know, that's the problem with Christians. It really is. I don't even know what it means to be a Christian anymore. I really don't. No idea. You know why? Because nobody really lives it. Oh, they all go on Sunday and we all pretend. And then you leave and you become just as judgmental over the things you're doing in your life. But, oh boy, God forbid somebody else does it. You preach and preach and preach and preach and preach while you live completely upside down gospel principles. I don't even know. I don't want to be a Christian. If that's what a Christian is, I don't want to be a Christian. I've had a real crisis of faith. No, no, no. My faith is so strong. My faith in Jesus Christ is so strong. My faith in God is so strong. My faith in religion? It's awful. My faith in Christians? Wow. And I don't say this as a judgmental Christian because I'm a bad Christian. At least I'll admit it. At least I'm not going to try to jam it down anybody's throat. But now there are other people on the other side. Why do you hate Christians? Because they've tried to jam it down your throat the whole time while being hypocrites. Oh, my gosh. Well, let's become them. I, I know what's true. And so I'm going to jam it down your throat. And if you won't comply, I'll destroy you. The Declaration of Independence, just just before a list of specific grievances against King George, Thomas Jefferson wrote these words. To prove this, he's talking about the king's tyranny. Let facts be submitted to a candid world. I wonder, do candid citizens in the U.S. notice the tyranny against personal liberty? Religious liberty. Freedom of conscience. That that oppression is not coming from the right right now? Oh, sure, there are some. And I will stand against those. I'll stand with you. Somebody comes to round you up. Somebody comes to tell you what to think. And I have a history of Proving that action. It's not words. I'll stand with you. And I believe millions of other Americans will do the same. Let's leave each other alone. The left used to be like, hey, man, do your own thing. You do you. I'll do me. Not anymore. That's not true. That is not the typical leftist f- philosophy anymore. Now it's postmodernism. There is no truth except the truth that destroys this culture. And if you think I'm exaggerating, read postmodernism. There is no truth unless it destroys this culture. And if it destroys this culture, anything goes. Are we still a country that believes in liberty 
and justice for all? Or are we only interested in liberty, in freedom to think and to be this way and this way only? And justice, not for all, but only for a vetted list of oppressed groups. We have gone back 50 years in the last 10. And I think about 40 of it has happened in the last five. The left is confident in its ownership of the word bigot to slap on whomever it deems necessary. Let's just go and say, let's just say the truth because no one else will. Our sponsor this half hour is LifeLock. Have you heard of crypto jacking? Cyber thieves are gaining access to personal computers with malicious emails or even simple browsing and using special programs to, to solve complex math equations to gain a piece of cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. You'll see uh, symptoms, and those symptoms include high proce- uh, processor usage, uh, your device overheating, slow response times. That might mean that somebody has hacked in. This is why the new LifeLock Identity Theft Protection adds the power of Norton Security. They not only protect your identity, but they also protect your devices against threats that you probably aren't going to see or be able to fix on your own. And if you have a problem, their agents work to fix it. Nobody can stop all cyber threats, prevent all identity theft, or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But LifeLock with Norton Security can see the threats that you might miss on your own. So call LifeLock.com now. 1-800-LIFELOCK. Use the promo code BACK for an extra 10% off your first year, plus a $25 Amazon gift card with annual enrollment. That's promo code BACK. Terms and conditions do apply. Can we have adult conversations? Can we not, like MSNBC last night, do a segment on whether Donald Trump hates dogs? Um, and because I hate cats and they don't seem to care about that. Um, can we just can we have adult conversations? There's a couple of things I warned you uh, that when you started to hear talk like this, that you should probably head for the mountains. Uh, one was if you start to see stories um, that talk about rehypothecation, run for your life. Um, Forbes just ran a story this week on rehypothecation. If you don't know what it is, look it up, or uh, I'll explain it some other show when it really starts to be a problem, and you should head for the hills. The other thing I said is our debt and our dollar is going to eventually crush the rest of the world because everything is traded in dollars, and debt is in dollars with other countries. And so as our dollar is strong and our debt is huge and their debt is huge, Uh, When things start to become unbalanced, people will start to starve. Economies will start to crash. And because everything's traded in a dollar, if ours is the strongest, most floaty piece of poop in the toilet bowl, our currency, uh, everybody else is going to point to us and blame this on us and our lifestyle and our mistakes. Because whether it's right or wrong, politicians will have to point to a villain and it will be 
us. They will look at their starving people and say, this is America's fault. Um, there's an analyst that I read just this morning, and I wanted to get him on as soon as possible. Uh, he is a, an analyst of, of note that says this may be the beginning of something very bad. He's on next. Glenn Beck. Mercury. So uh, I came in this morning and one of my uh, researchers uh, said, Glenn, there's a guy I really respect. And um, and I read something from him. And then I read people saying that I really respect. This is probably the most important thing this guy has ever written. Uh, and it uh, it goes into a long standing uh, fear of mine that when the currencies begin to collapse, uh, the dollar, because it's the floatiest piece of poop in the toilet bowl, um, is uh, uh, it, everybody will rush into the dollar, which will make our dollar stronger, make the problem worse. Um, because, you know, if your debt is in dollars and your currency is going down as a country and you're trying to buy stuff from the U.S., food or whatever, it's going to be a disaster for people all over the world. And when that happens, those politicians will not want to take the blame. They'll look right directly to us and say it's their fault. Um, but we, we could be on the verge of a real currency crisis. I wanted to bring in Jacob Shapiro, uh, who just wrote about this. He is the director of uh, analysis uh, for geopolitical futures. Uh, he was with Stratfor for a while. And uh, and welcome to the program, Jacob. And thanks so much for having me. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Uh, so tell me your tell me your concern here. Well, look, my concern is that if you look at the growth and as you said, U.S. dollar denominated debt from about starting at about 1990 to today. In 1990, it was about something like 600 billion in the entire world. Today, it's 11.5 trillion. So. Already, you see the kind of irrational growth in an asset class that you would probably most associate with a bubble. Um, the problem on top of that is that you have some countries that borrowed a lot of this U.S. dollar-denominated debt to fuel growth and to recover from the 2008 financial crisis. Borrowing dollars is actually usually a pretty good idea. The problem is they have become addicted to it, and in a lot of cases, their reserves can't even co- can't even cover their U.S. dollar-denominated debt, let alone their total external debt. So Turkey was sort of the canary in the coal mine. It's the first one. But if you start poking around and you start looking at other national balance sheets, uh, you know, four countries that look kind of like Turkey are Chile, Argentina, Mexico, Indonesia. Those are four major countries with four major countries with major economies, and that's before we even get into any kind of of the other countries. So that's why I'm so worried about this. Um, okay, so tell me what happens. Tell me what this currency, uh, I mean, uh, what this this dollar denominated debt means to the average person. Can you explain it and break it down on what what happens? What does that mean? Well, what that means, you've, we've sort of gotten an example of it in Turkey right now, so we can use that as a test case. What happens is when investors stop having confidence in a particular country and start pulling out dollars, you get a rush and you get a decline in the value of the currency of that country. So in Turkey, you've seen their national currency declining. That means two things. Number one, for daily Joe Schmo on the street, 
it becomes harder to buy things. The things that you are used to buying are going to cost more, especially those nice things that you're importing, not just from the United States, from Europe and other places. But what's more concerning is, especially for a country like Turkey, is you're losing the ability to actually pay back the debt you've incurred in the first place. So that's not something Joe Schmo is necessarily going to feel until a little bit down the line. But when you start looking at you know, the relationships between different countries, you start talking about Turkey not being able to make good on the roughly $200 billion of U.S. dollar-denominated debt it's got in its system. And as you said, then the United States has to decide what, what is it going to do? Is it going to try and pressure Turkey? Is it going to try and move Turkey in the direction that it wants to? Is Turkey going to eventually have to default if there is enough of a crisis and if investors really run for the sidelines? Those are the two main ways to think about what's going to happen. And uh, so we become kind of Germany to um, the last crisis, Greece. Well, in a way, although Germany is a slightly different case, and the big difference between the United States and Germany is that Germany, Germany's economy is built off of exports. Something like half of Germany's GDP comes from exporting and getting people to buy their goods. What Germany did was Germany was lending out a bunch of money intentionally to get these European countries that otherwise wouldn't have been able to afford German goods to buy them. And then when those countries suddenly you know, couldn't pay the Germans back, the Germans were very shocked. They shouldn't have been because if you're loaning to the Greeks, uh, you, know, you might expect that the Greeks eventually aren't going to be able to make good on it. <laughs> United, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's, it's, it's true. I mean, they're mm-hmm. dealing with it with the Italians right now, too. Right, so when right. you think about, you know, should Greeks have the same monetary policy as Germany? That's the whole problem of the European Union, but that's a rabbit hole. The difference is that the United States does not depend that much on exports. I know that the current U.S. presidential administration has been focusing a lot on trade and a lot on trying to build up U.S. exports and making U.S. exports more competitive. But right now, exports as a percentage of U.S. GDP just aren't that big. So this wasn't like the United States Federal Reserve or the United States decided that it was going to lend out all this money so that people would buy U.S. goods and prop up the economy. This was really people saw the dollar they saw really loose monetary policy in the United States, but also in other places, and they took the dollar and they were running with it. What you have now is the United States is saying, okay, this has been 10 years since 2008. We're going to start raising interest rates. We're going to start really rationalizing this economy and making sure that this recovery doesn't just continue on in the back of government stimulus forever. And when you have that, the U.S. acting in its own self-interest, it's causing problems for a lot of different countries. So the real difference between U.S. and Germany here is that I would say Germany was kind of screwed in 2008. The United States is not screwed here. It might get caught holding the bag, but that just means the dollar is going to strengthen. You're going to see, as you said, more dollars coming into the United States. The underlying basis of the U.S. economy is fairly well insulated as opposed to where Germany was in 2008. So, Jacob, um, are we looking at the real possibility of currency collapse in these countries? I think so. And I, you know, I mentioned those four countries, the four that I'm most concerned about are Chile, Argentina, Mexico, Indonesia. The only one of those countries that has not seen its currency waver in a big way so far this year is Mexico. And they're sitting on $270 billion worth of USD debt. That's the second highest total of any country in the world right now. When you look at their gross external debt, you've got a a more populist president who's coming in with a lot of ideas about social spending. I'm pretty worried about Mexico. But if Mexico, if Mexico's currency fails, what does that look like in real life to us? What does that mean? 
Well, that means a lot of political instability in Mexico. That means that you're going to have, a, you know, if, if we think that the migrant issue uh, across the Mexican border into the United States is serious now, you ain't seen nothing yet if this actually comes to pass because people are going to be fleeing to try and get some semblance of stability. The Mexican government itself, whether the previous administration or the new one coming in, has been under pressure for a host of other different reasons. This is the last thing that they sort of need. But, you know, Mexico would be a very serious one for the United States. And it's, it's one of the ones I'm most worried about. But the real, the real reason this is so worrying is because, like I said, there's $11.5 trillion of this debt floating, out, floating, floating around out there. Some of the countries we know, some of the countries don't report it. I tried to email the Bank of International Settlements yesterday and ask for some more clarity on some of the countries that were holding this, this debt. And they said, well, for confidentiality reasons, some countries we can't even release. So in some sense, you know, it's hard to get a real scope of the problem. But this is global. This is something like the Asian financial crisis of 97, 98, 2008 subprime global crisis. It could have that kind of transformative political impact across the world if it nosedives. Does the trade war play a role in this at all? The trade war plays a role in the sense that the trade war, in in addition to raising interest rates in the United States, all of that is strengthening the U.S. dollar. So the trade war is sort of one small part of a number of different things that are causing a stronger U.S. dollar. So I I wouldn't call it even one of the main movers, but you can't dismiss it. And it's one of the things that in these countries is is causing some panic. One thing that I've been concerned about is um, this allegiance uh, between Russia, Turkey uh, and Iran. um, And they're all they're all having currency problems. They're all, you know, being pushed into a corner uh, and desperate Desperate people do desperate things. Are you concerned at all about, you know, the the unholy alliance here that uh, when pushed into a corner in a currency crisis that they might strike out? Well, you know, I'm not worried about the unholy alliance striking in any particular place the way that you say, mostly because I think that alliance is mostly fake and mostly for is mostly a PR bit. Uh, Russia and Iran in particular do not trust each other farther than they can throw each other. Um, Russia has been trying to get Iran to pull back in Syria because Russia doesn't want all these issues with Israel and with the United States in the Middle East. Russia was really looking to help kick Islamic State's butt, to, to just get Assad you know, sort of stabilized, and then to pull out and declare mission accomplished. They've been trying to do that for a while. Um, now, I would say I'm, I'm very worried about Iran in terms of its internal domestic stability. You've had political competition there between sort of more reformists and pragmatists. This is, of course, you know, in Iran. So what we would think of as reformists is not exactly what they're, right. you know, they're, right. the ones that are more on the reformist side are currently in the government. They staked a lot on the Iran nuclear deal. And when the Trump administration pulled the United States out of the Iran nuclear deal, it sent the Iranian economy into a tailspin. And you can see the sort of push and pull inside of Iran. So I'm much more worried from Iran's perspective, not about where it's going to lash out, but whether the current regime can survive. So does that look is there a chance that that looks like 1979 in reverse, that there is a a freedom movement afoot? Well, the reason I don't think it can look quite like 1979 is because the IRGC, which is the Iranian Revolutionary Republican Guard, um, 
they are sort of the guarantor of the 1979 revolution, right? right? And what's different between 79 and now is that in 79, the Shah, even with all of his domestic security apparatus, he didn't have the same level of control right now that the IRGC does. There was a recent, um, I think it was even an Iranian government study that said that the IRGC controls something like 60 to 70% of the Iranian economy. Wow. So, and, and they have hundreds of thousands of you know, soldiers and security personnel that are throughout the entire country. So I'm not so much worried about uh, a revolution or a return to 1979. What I am concerned about is you have the extinguishing of that pragmatist voice in Iranian politics. And instead, you have the IRGC basically willing to do whatever it wants, because until now, Iran, though a lot of Americans see it as aggressive, it's really been balancing between these two different factions. If you had the IRGC take over, you'd be looking at a much more aggressive Iran, if you can Mm -hmm. imagine. Uh, Jacob, thank you so much. Thanks for the update. Um, We'll continue to uh, watch. If you see something and you think the word needs to get out, please contact us as well. Um, But uh, thank you so much. Jacob Shapiro, you You can uh, follow him at Jacob Shap, S-H-A-P, Jacob Shap. Uh, on Twitter. All right. Uh, let me tell you about our sponsor this half hour. It's Simply Safe Home Security. Great home security system. Fantastic protection. Um, you know, we are so we are so thrilled. I love watching people succeed. Um, we have had five different uh, companies start with us that were, you know, very small. When Simply Safe started with us, I think they were five people. I mean, it was very, very small. They were just, I remember meeting with them and they're like, okay, these dollars are like our, you know, our only investment dollars that we have and we're really taking a big risk. And I was like, don't worry, we'll work together on it. Uh, and so we've worked with them for a long time. They're now a billion dollar company and about to really just take off. And we're so thrilled for them. They're such good people. And they build a great product. Two million people now are uh, have Simply Safe either in their home or their office. Comprehensive protection for your home. It has round-the-clock professional monitoring and police dispatch. You get the protection that you need from anything from water, you know, busted pipes to fires to leaks to intruders. You name it, it's covered. Simply Safe works during power outages, downed Wi-Fi, even if somebody comes in and tries to smash your keypad. It's calling the police and most likely taking a picture of the bad guy, too. The system is easy to use, incredibly intuitive, takes just minutes to set up. There's no wiring, no strings attached and no contracts. You own it. Take control of your own security. Fourteen dollars and ninety nine cents a month. And that's it. Own your own Simply Safe system today. You'll get 10 percent uh, off the system price if you go to simplysafebeck.com. That's simplysafebeck.com. I went to see Ben Shapiro last night here in uh, Dallas at the uh, Toyota Music uh, Center, and it was it was great. It yeah. was really great, really entertaining too. Yeah, uh-huh. first time he's ever done that. Uh, and he, he went out and he recorded his podcast and then took questions from the audience. And, uh, I've never seen him like that. Very funny. Uh, <laughs> it was, you know, yeah, it, it was, was a, re- it was really funny, <laughs> really funny. Yeah. Uh, the black, black card is a, uh, I'm not going to tell you the whole joke, but, <laughs> but it's uh, a great, it's one of the best jokes I've heard <laughs> in a, a great long one. time. It was a great one. He's really entertaining yeah. and, uh, it was a lot of fun. Plus really interesting. I mean, Ben's so smart yeah. and, uh, you know, so you're always going to get good yeah. solid analysis and but it, was it was nice to see i yeah, said fun. i sat in the crowd and uh um 
I came in and then he said, hey, Glenn Beck is here. And then then the then the that was that the part with the, the dead silence in the crowd. I yeah, remember that. With thank you for that. Weird yeah. silence. No, but then then <laughs> we hit intermission and then the the the, you know, jig was up. So. Uh, gosh, is that racist? What does jig mean? I, I don't know. I don't know. Like, but yeah, there were a lot of people coming over for pictures. It was nice. Such. It was cool. It was really nice because I got a chance to meet his fans who are also mine. And uh, what was nice, and I wrote to him afterwards and because I tried to remember everything that people told me. And, you know, I met people from Canada and from Chicago and California and Seattle and uh, Atlanta. F- people flew in from all over the country for this yeah uh and what was touching and i i wrote to ben last night and i said uh you know people want you to know that they support you they're coming out because it's going to be a good show and they you know hope to see you and you know whatever but they i think they just want you to know how much they support you and that's that's hard to realize sometimes because, uh, you know, he's backstage with a bunch of security and doesn't necessarily see it. Yeah, he's in uh, Phoenix. Phoenix tonight. So yeah. if you're in Phoenix, go go see it. It's a really good. Really it's worth good. It. It's worth it. Funny, funny, funny. Uh, Washington Post had a, a headline Tuesday. And, I, you know, look, when newspapers were newspapers, they didn't have to worry, worry about clickability so they could maybe have a little more truth in their headlines, I guess. But here's the headline from the Washington Post. White supremacist rally. Cost D.C. at least $2.6 million, preliminary estimate show. Wait, okay, hang on just a second. I mean, I understand the click thing. Who's going to get more clicks, Antifa or white supremacist? Uh, white supremacist, I'm sure. That's the better bet. Um, and it's only because, you know, the press isn't telling everybody really how dangerous Antifa is. So they're like, oh, they're the good guys fighting for truth, justice, and well, not exactly the American way, but... So how can you tell me, Washington Post, how can you say with a straight face that this white supremacist thing was even a rally, A, and then the estimated cost was $2.6 million. That's over $100,000 for every white supremacist that showed up. Because there were only about 24 people. You could have given them all 50 grand. You could have got them for half price. Hey, would you just go home? Here's 50 grand. And they would have gone home. Uh, Washington Post said, well, it was fewer than 40 supporters. Well, yes, it was. It was 24. It's not hard to estimate the crowd when you can count them. So not to, you know, defend the white supremacist lowlifes who did show up. But apparently they were peaceful. It was the hundreds of Antifa members who actually skirmished with police because there was only 24 losers. They were like, I don't want to fight this crowd. I mean, sure, I'm a Nazi, but, you know, I'm not crazy. So long after the rally was over and those two dozen people left, Antifa lit smoke bombs and firecrackers through exit police. They knocked over trash cans. They yelled at police to get out of their cars. You got to meet us in the streets. 
So the Post explains that the $2.6 million price tag was for staffing and overtime for Washington, D.C.'s 3,900-member police force. Law enforcement needed to respond with a massive premise, uh, a presence to keep the white supremacists physically separated from thousands of counter-protesters. Okay. okay, so that's not the white supremacists' fault. That's the counter-protesters that were in the thousands. I think, you know, two or three guys probably could have handled the 24. It was the thousands. Now, once you arrived and you saw that there were, you know, 24, I can use that number. I don't have to say 20 something or around 20. You could get out of your, you could stay in your car and count the entire crowd. There were 24. Why didn't you, you know, send a few of those 3,900 officers home and save yourself a million bucks or so? Because it wasn't the white supremacist. $2.6 million is insane for a non-event. But the reality is, and the misleading part of the headline is, that the bulk of the police effort and expense didn't have to focus on the puny, pathetic, racist rally. They had to focus on keeping the anarchist thugs in ninja suits from tearing up and burning down the city. And that is your headline. It's Thursday, August 16th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. So last, I think it was last week, uh, by the way, uh, Aretha Franklin has passed away. She was 76 years old. She's been sick for the last uh, few days. Um, And so our condolences to Aretha Franklin. Um, uh, I think it was last week we read this amazing article from Vox, and it was amazing on uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it was... Stunning in the math. What does it cost? What do what what Democrat Democratic socialists are proposing? What is the actual cost? And it it wasn't the numbers from the right or some right think tank. These were a lot of these numbers were from either the CBO from from uh, the government uh, or from the left. And so they they took those numbers and added them up. Now, that's a staggering thing in and of itself we'll get to in a second. But the fact that it was in Vox, I don't even know how that happened. It was like, I think we slipped through a wormhole and we're in another universe. It's definitely one of the horsemen of the apocalypse. I'm not sure which one it is, (laughs) right? but it's one of them. But it's one of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Brian Riedel is uh, the senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, and he is the author of this really great uh, article, and he joins us now. Hi, Brian. Hi, Glenn. How are you? I'm, I'm great. Can I just start with, how the hell did you get that done? <laughs> uh, well, Vox has often prided themselves on being very empirical, and they say, you know, we're not liberal. We just go where the data says. And that's kind of an argument you hear a lot. We're not ideological. We go where the data says. Yeah, but I hear so that I from MSNBC. <laughs> I don't believe so I it. I messaged them and said, you've been writing a lot on democratic socialism. Well, if you're interested in where the numbers go, would you be willing to publish this piece that shows you exactly what they cost? And to their credit, they said, sure. Um, it, it, took, it took a few weeks to get it published. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, 
But, uh, you know, I, 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 I told them, you know, if, if, if you're interested in, in going where the numbers go as you claim, this is an important contribution to the debate. And in a way, that actually makes it more impressive that they didn't just take your piece and run it because they wanted to give lip service to, you know, the, the, the conservative side of the aisle. I mean, this is like you look at this and I think it's important the way you approached it. Which was not to take, you know, the Heritage Foundation numbers or the Manhattan Institute uh, numbers or, or, or something like that. You took government and left wing numbers. So it was it not tilted against people, uh, against Democratic Socialists. You took their own numbers and showed just where the money goes. Yeah, I, I wanted to make it as bulletproof as possible. I, I bent over backwards to give them every benefit of the doubt. For instance, the score of the government jobs guarantee is probably going to be triple what they claim it is. Oh, yeah. I saw the number and I was like, there's no way. There's no no way that number is that small. I'm going to give you all of your numbers. I'm even going to give you huge spending offsets later to help pay for it that are totally implausible, too. I don't want the left to be able to pick apart any part of this report. Because, you know, if you find one spot where you substitute in your own judgment... They'll, they'll pick apart the entire report and go right-wing bias. So I made sure not to have a single right-wing source or conservative interpretation in the entire paper. And to illustrate this, can you dive in a little bit on the jobs uh, number? Because you're right. There's no way it costs what they say it does, even though you gave them the benefit of the doubt on it. Yeah, they, the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities did the numbers and said that if you were to guarantee anybody a job... They assume $12 an hour, but now we're hearing $15 an hour, and said anybody in America who walks off in on the street can get a guaranteed job for $12 or $15 an hour full-time. It would cost about $55,000 a year per person when you include the cost of benefits, health care, everything else. Well, what they assumed is that the only people who would sign up for this are people who are currently unemployed and looking for a job. <laughs> they're assuming nobody... There, there, there are, there are there's about 60 million people who are currently earning less than $15 an hour. And do you know how many people just... Uh, they're already just clocking in. They don't care what they do. And to be able to have a job where you really could never be fired would be a dream come true to a lot of people in this nation. And if you have a difficult job, if you're a landscaper doing really hard work or a machinist doing really hard work and you're making a little bit under $15 an hour, a cushy government job, make work job, you know, maybe, you know, paint, you know, painting murals like the 1930s, sounds pretty good. Even if you're a retiree who's on a fixed income, you might hear guaranteed $15 an hour can't be fired. Where do I sign up? They assumed not a single person <laughs> would, would, would sign up for this program mm-hmm. who is not currently unemployed and just desperate for a job. Not only would you get every single person who makes, let's say, $9 an hour, why would you stay at your $9 an hour job when there's a guaranteed $15 an hour job across the street? But you'd even, I bet you'd get people who had difficult $17 and $18 jobs leaving those to go to the easy 15 I mean, this, 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 oh, this yeah. would be, the cost of this program would be almost, it would almost be... If you, uh, if you impossible have, to estimate. If you had back, as you said, like landscapers, back-breaking labor, and you could get something, you know, you're, you're, you go home and your wife will say to you, you got to stop, or you'll say to her, I've got to stop doing this, it's killing me. Why wouldn't you take $3 less an hour? 
Of course exactly. you would. Exactly. And their numbers assume even if none of these currently employed people sign up, it would still be six point eight trillion dollars over the decade. If have I mean, you done the have you done the <laughs> estimate of what you really think it is? Yeah, I think it would probably be closer to twenty or twenty five trillion over the decade for that program. That's incredible. I think it would be triple or quadruple. They're assuming about nine million they're they're assuming about nine or ten million unemployed people. Well, there's really a universe of about 70 or 80 people, 70 or 80 million people who would benefit from this. Even if you assume 30 million sign up, that's you've just tripled or I'm sorry, you've just quadrupled the cost from 6.8 trillion over 10 years to closer to 25 trillion. So I, I was giving them every benefit of the doubt. I said, okay, your numbers are bunk, but I'm going to give you 6.8 trillion anyway just because I don't want anyone to be able to complain. Okay, so now take us through. Let me take a quick break, and then I want you to take us through what Democratic Socialists say, uh, you know, this is what we need, uh, and this doesn't include a lot of the stuff that I know is on the slippery slope. you got to have this, too. I mean, if you're going for if you're going for the Rolls Royce, I mean, you've got to have you have to have the upgraded stereo. Uh, so uh, uh, it's just the strip down what the Democratic Socialists say they want and we can afford and the price tag using their numbers. You'll notice they always go to a break. Well, how do we pay for this? They always go to a break, but they'll usually just summarize it in the, well, we're out of time, but let me just tell you this. It's, uh, we're the richest country in the world. And uh, how can we not afford this? <laughs> it sounds like a con job. I, I've given my wife a million times when I, I want to buy a new car. Uh, anyway, we'll come back with those numbers here in just a second. First, let me tell you about Blinds.com, our sponsor this half hour. Uh, I want you to go to blinds.com. Now, if you if you can't see how you can transform your house, they have tons of ideas. They have, you know, the before and after. So the the improvements uh, to, you know, your bathroom or your bedroom or your kitchen, you can see these improvements and you can see how, you know, how it all comes together and how it really does change the room. If you have a hard time reimagining uh, yourself, if you know what you want, you're going to be fine. If you don't, and even those pictures don't really help you, you can just ask them for free consultation and they they get online with you. I mean, it's amazing. I've used these guys. It's amazing. Uh, They'll get online and within an hour, they were like, "Okay, got it. Uh, Let me send some stuff back to you. And all of a sudden you start getting some ideas for with your picture of your room and what it would look like. Anyway, they they give that to you for free. The install process, they help you measure and everything else for free. You get free samples, free shipping, plus free online design consultation. Blinds.com, the number one retailer for any kind of window coverings for your house for a reason. Now through August 29th, you can save up to 35%, plus take an additional 5% off site-wide when you use promo code back. That's up to 35%, plus an additional 5% off on everything at blinds.com, promo code back. Blinds.com, promo code back. Rules and restrictions do apply. Brian Riedel, who is becoming one of our favorite uh, writers uh, on the economy and tax proposals and everything else, we've we've quoted uh, Brian of several of your articles here recently. Um, uh, but we're really impressed with the work that you did on this and to make it bulletproof against the left picking it apart. 
taking their numbers, what does national socialism actually look like? Let's let's show us the menu here and show us each piece and then the grand total. Sure. Uh, there's the, the biggest pieces are, of course, uh, socialized medicine, single payer health care would cost, uh, according to not just the right, but according to the Urban Institute, uh, liberal think tank, and according to a single-payer advocate at Emory University, $32 trillion over 10 years. That's the biggest, $32 trillion for single-payer health care. What do you think a real number is? Is that a real number? Um, I, think it would, I think you could probably add about $5 trillion to that. Okay. Uh, because, again, you're going to have huge new demand when, when, when you're told that every medical procedure you could ever want is free without a dollar copay for everybody, that tends people people tend to get some of the more optional things done that they may not have otherwise done. You know, the, the but wouldn't they just surgery, yeah? But wouldn't they uh, just that just wouldn't be covered? I mean, you you know, the, the, wouldn't the government just say, hey, well that that open heart surgery that you know that doesn't need to be done necessarily. That's what happens once everyone takes advantage. You promise everything. Okay. And then right. when everyone takes advantage and the government goes bankrupt, they go, oh, my goodness, we have to start rationing. Okay. All right. Okay. So 32 there. 32 there. 6.8 trillion is the absurdly low jobs guarantee. So now you're at about 38.8 trillion. There's also democratic plans to give everybody free college tuition, 0.8 trillion. Wait, 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 Col- wait. <laughs> free college tuition is how much? Well, and this is another low ball. They say $800 billion over 10 years to make every public university free. Not a chance. No but way. What's the real number? Oh, it's double that because you know what's going to happen. People who are currently thinking of going to private schools are going to say, well, I can pay $40,000 to go to a private school or nothing to go to a public school. There will, there will be a stampede into public schools. Right. Additionally, the universities will raise all their costs because they know the feds will pay it off. So it'll be, it'll be double that. Okay, all right. Then you got student loan forgiveness. We're just going to pay off everybody's student loans. That's $1.4 trillion. Now, is that a real number? Uh, approximately, yeah. Okay. $1.4 to $1.6 Okay. Um, the Democrats have pledged a trillion-dollar infrastructure buildup. Mm-hmm. They haven't specified what it would be, but they just said we want to we want to spend a trillion on infrastructure. Doesn't doesn't Donald Trump want to spend more than a trillion? <laughs> I mean, that's not a real that, number. That's across is it? the aisle, I think yeah. the trillion dollars. Yeah, on that we'll one. negotiate that one to a higher level. <laughs> it probably. Yeah, all right. Uh, and then the final two are paid family leave, which is about three hundred billion. What's the real number? Uh, probably three to probably closer to four hundred billion, I would say. Okay. And Sanders has a proposal, a vague proposal to expand Social Security by about two hundred billion. That's the real number, but I, I would be surprised if he stops there. Uh, if he actually has a chance to to expand Social Security, uh, basically he would expand the minimum benefit. Uh, and so you add all those up, you get forty two point five trillion. If you get back to your question of how much would it really cost, honestly, probably closer to sixty or sixty-five trillion. Okay, so only wow. sixty-five trillion. Sixty-five trillion. Now that which does is not ten trillion dollars more than the entire GDP in a year of this country. The, well, the GDP right now is twenty trillion. Is what? Twenty trillion. Oh uh, no! I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, all the money. Uh, sorry. I'm. I'm sorry. 
all the money in the world is oh, is 55 trillion all the actual cash in the world is 55 trillion yeah i mean one way of looking at it is over the next decade the entire federal taxes will take in about 42 trillion dollars over the next 10 years so if you're going to spend 44 to you know or 42 to say 65 trillion you're more than doubling uh, taxes in the size of government it is incredible. Yeah, but, does, but, this, but it's only the rich people. Right. <laughs> Brian, this does not include sort of some loose proposals we've heard about guaranteed housing, for example. Uh, and, and there's I mean, there's a there's more than they want to do than even this. I don't know if they've been scored uh, by a legitimate source, but they've they've tossed around a lot of things in the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez sort of world. Welfare state, guaranteed housing, uh, big bigger SNAP benefits, higher special education funding, huge uh, national education um, uh, K through 12 initiative. Those just haven't been specified and scored yet. So you know, don't think they're going to implement this 42.5 trillion and then stop there and be satisfied. I mean, there's always something to expand. The 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 chance that common sense is going to rule the day would be. <laughs> I've, got about, well, I've got about ten seconds. Give me a percentage. Well, I mean, the reality is, they could win every seat in November, and they'll still never get this stuff enacted. Because once people see the tax hikes, once people see that you'd have to have your taxes doubled. It doesn't matter how many seats they hold. They could never pass this. Brian, thank you so much. God bless you. Thanks for your hard work. Back in just a second. Can you think of anybody that you believe is truly, truly a great man? Now, have you ever met that man? Really gotten to know him? I have met people that I believe are truly great men. And the closer I get to them, the more flaws I see. Uh, I, I'm away from them, and I think that is the most amazing man. And then if I'm allowed in, I can stand next to them, and I'm like, wow, that doesn't really, that doesn't really jive with what you say here. And you see that... This great man is not perfect. He's doing things that, you know, don't seem consistent. My father used to say, life is nothing but a series of choices. And you have to make the best choice you can at the time and then live with the consequences. But you won't have any regrets if you really, truly try to make the best, most honest, genuine, and decent choice you can. But you're going to screw it up. Yesterday, uh, Governor Cuomo, and he's only saying this because he's in a primary, because Cynthia Nixon is moving him to the left, pushing him even farther to the left, because that's the Democratic Socialists. They're all losing. They're losing all around the country. Okay, Nobody's into it. The moderates, that's where the Democrats actually want to be. The farther left they move as a party, the more that those candidates lose. 
with the exception of places where it is so red. I mean, it's mainly it's so red and it's because of the blood that is shot out of everybody's eyes. Okay, but they're moving so far left. So Nixon doesn't have a chance of winning. She's just trying to push uh, Cuomo closer to her socialist utopian vision. Okay, and he's got to play to the crowd. So what does he say? Well, America's not great. Now, I want you to listen to what he said. Play from yesterday. Here's Governor Cuomo of New York. And look, the simple point is all this comes down to this. We're not going to make America great again. It was never that great. We have not reached greatness. We will reach greatness when every American is fully engaged. Stop for a second. We will re- tell me uh, tell me which which country in history has had every Roman, every, you know, every German fully engaged. Now I can think of a couple you could say the former Soviet Union Everybody was fully engaged, mainly because you'd go to a gulag if you weren't. But does that make a great country? When they're fully engaged, remember, we live with humans. They're not robots, they're humans. Some humans make the choice I don't want to do anything, I don't mind living on the street. There are some people that live on the street. And I don't know what the numbers are or the breakup, but there are some people that want to live on the street. There are other people that just want to game the system. They're not fully engaged. They're just gaming the system. They want the least the path of least resistance. So you're never going to have an America or any country where every citizen is fully engaged. Next claim. We will reach greatness when discrimination and stereotyping against women, 51% of our population is gone. Stop. And we're going to do that by discriminating against men? We're going to attack and target white men? You know, we'll be great when discrimination is a thing of the past. Well, that's quite a utopian statement, but... No one has ever achieved that. No one has even come close. We are we are getting closer, or we were. We were making great strides, but not. We're we're not. We're not going to achieve no discrimination. It's not going to happen. Why? Because it's the human flaw. So here's the thing: to say America was, and I want to quote him, never that great. Is, is, is not an insult. It's not an insult. It shows the stupidity of this governor. It shows the desperation of this governor. Stupidity if he actually believes that. That's like saying Gandhi's not a great man. Can you imagine anybody on the left saying Gandhi was not a great man? Gandhi's not a great man. Excuse me? Well, he, it, this is true. He was a racist. While, while he saw the struggle of his own people, the racist things he said about people in Africa when he was in South Africa, 
is astonishing. He was a racist. Okay. Does that mean he wasn't a great man in this area and he had this flaw? He was a super creepy with his young female relatives as well. Yes. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You look at the bad, the dark sides of Gandhi and he's not a great man. But you have to look at the totality of the man and the time that he lived in. Let's look at Churchill. If you look at Churchill from the view of Europe, he's fantastic. But take away the European part and you look at how he treated Indians. He was the foe against Gandhi. And the comments he made about the Indian people is they're astounding. If you only know that about Churchill, he's a monster. Lincoln, he's crazy. He's crazy. And he didn't do everything that he could possibly do on day one. He cared about holding the country together. He should have been just about stopping slavery. Uh, Let me even go to a a person on the left that they think is a goddess. Margaret Sanger. Are you telling me that you, because I don't think she's a good person, because there there comes a point to where you're like, yeah, she was trying to kill an entire race. She was kind of in with the whole liquidation of people. I'm going to say, I don't care how many other nice things you did. Oh, but she brought, oh, she brought, you know, dinner over to her sick neighbor a couple of times. I don't really care. She wanted to wipe out an entire race. But if you don't think that that's true, well, you have issues uh, of truth. uh, But also, would you say that she's a great person? She's a great person because I don't agree with everything she did. Now, I can guarantee you at this women's speech that Cuomo would say, if you stood and said, excuse me, do you think that Margaret Sanger was a great woman? I can guarantee you his answer would have been, look, she did some great things. That doesn't mean I agree with everything she did. But she did some great things. But no one will give this country that same standard. Yes. Yes. Andrew Jackson, the guy who founded the Democratic Party, slaughtered Indians. That happened. He went back on all of our Indian treaties. We treated them horribly. Same with African-Americans. And quite honestly, same with white Americans. At the beginning of slavery, because they were deemed slaves, too. It wasn't until later that we're like, oh, you know what? Maybe just black people. Can't tell me that we didn't do horrible things to the Chinese, to the Japanese. You know who you know who uh, you know what the truth is on the Japanese? Most people most people don't even know the truth of the Japanese internment. Do you know that FDR wanted to inter the Japanese? Uh, in 1939, 1939 didn't happen until after Pearl Harbor. But in 1939, he's like, I don't know. These Japanese people kind of spook me. So he had somebody go out and and look in and do a full investigation on the Japanese problem. Came back with a report saying, no, it's actually not a problem. They're very patriotic. 
So he couldn't do it. He wanted to, but he didn't have any support on it. Until Pearl Harbor. And then he just rounded them up. Well, wait a minute. That's FDR. I think, don't you say he's one of the greatest presidents of all time? He was a racist. He interred American citizens. The country didn't do that. That was executive order like 9066. That was an executive order. That was one man making the choice. So that was your man that you say was so great, yet you cut him slack. We apply this absurd standard that people and countries have to live up to. They have to live up to whatever it is we say people should be. Even when I say, and I want to make clear, I'm saying we say. Not the example that we are living, but what we say. For instance, our founders, they were so racist. You know what they did? They chose to be progressive. They said, we'll never get to a place where we can abolish slavery if we don't have a country. And so what we need to do is first make an agreement that we're going to make a country and just stop the slave trade. And then if we stop the slave trade and expansion, we can come back and take the next step. You don't think the people were that were pro-slavery were arguing, this is a slippery slope. First, they want to stop the slave trade. Next thing, they're going to be coming for our slaves. Exactly right. Exactly right. But we are expected to believe that progressives can't respect their progressive moves to abolish slavery. <clears throat> that somehow or another, that's just not good enough. Oh, be careful because you're going to be judged by the same standard in history. Yet these same people say they didn't even see it. They didn't even look. They didn't want to do anything about it. They wouldn't even take a stand against it when they did. <clears throat> when our founders, many of them were the premier abolitionists. But you dismiss that. You're too busy blaming them for what they failed to see 250 years ago to even notice that you are the biggest hypocrite to possibly ever live because slavery is worse now. There are more people in slavery today than the entire 400 years of Western slave trade combined. Are you an abolitionist? Somebody starts talking about the founders. You just say, hey, are you an abolitionist today? What do you know about slave trade today? Well, I'm not talking about that. Well, you should be because these are actual people that are living today. We can have this theoretical conversation or we can actually free people today. Are you an abolitionist? The answer will always be no. Look, <clears throat> America and you as a person, this is not track. This is cross country. You want to judge? The only thing you can actually do is judge us as a nation day to day, year over year, and judge people the same way. Judge yourself. The only fair way to do it is not to compare yourself to other people on Facebook. That'll make you depressed really fast. 
To compare yourself to other people won't happen. That's what the Democrats would like you to do. I'm telling you now to be a healthy person, you need to compare yourself to who you were yesterday, how you behaved yesterday and the week before and the year before that. Are you growing as a person? Are you getting better or are you making the same damn mistakes over and over again? Are you just stuck in this place where I haven't changed my opinion ever? Well, that means you're not growing. This is cross country. There are no winners here. The winner is you beating your own time. I want to thank our sponsor this half hour. It's Filter By. Our hearts go out to the people impacted by the terrible, terrible wildfires raging in the West. Uh, the smoke and the dust from the California fires reaching now to the Midwest and beyond. Uh, this combined with the uh, the dust and the pollen, it's making for terrible air quality. And if you're running your air conditioner, uh, you're either breathing it in or you're making your air conditioner do way too much. Please grab a step ladder and check your air filter, uh, because if you're like me, you kind of forgot all about it. If you do and you need to change your filter, please go to filterby.com. Order a fresh sort uh, of a, a set of uh, filters and uh, and replace them now filter by is america's leading provider of hvac filters for homes and small businesses they carry over 600 sizes they ship for free within 24 hours they're made here in america i love this company saved a little small town factory um and i would recommend that you subscribe so you they'll just show up at your door and it'll be your reminder oh, i got to change my filters and they'll give you five percent off uh, your order if they do that or if you sign up for that service save time Save money, breathe better, save your HVAC system with filterby.com. That's filterbuy.com. Filterby.com. Glenn Beck. One job that is not easy is PR. Mm -hmm. Governor Cuomo says America is not great. It was never that great. What do you do when you have a disastrous comment like that? You talk to Danny Lever, the press secretary for Cuomo, to come up with a good statement that will make it all better. Her statement, Governor Cuomo disagrees with the president. The governor believes America is great. Wait. <laughs> so Ugh. it was never that great. Turns into the governor believes America is great. That's mm. PR. It's a hard job. Well, the president's a liar, you know. You're right. The, blame it Back. on the president. <laughs> Mercury. The opening of every hour, um, I try to I try to share a news story and what it means that will actually affect you in some way or another. Something that's important, and uh, and I'm going to break that rule here for a second because I just got news a few minutes ago um, about a death of a man that I would call a friend, Charlie Butcher. Um, Charlie Butcher was uh, the morning guy at our affiliate uh, WoWo in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which holds a very special place in my heart. Um, it's it reminds me of how radio used to be when radio was great and it was local and the and the people were decent and, and they were there forever and you got to know them. Charlie Butcher did the uh, morning show at WoWo. He's, he was 30 years in the same town. And in a small town, uh, 
that says something. He spent most of his life at number one. And anybody who can be on the air for three years, the audience gets to know you and they can smell a fraud a mile away. And Charlie was number one for damn near 30 years. The entire town knew him. He died apparently a couple of days ago. And I just got the news. He, um, his heart stopped and it was the end. He was 61. I, I wanted, I want to use Charlie as an example of who I'd like to be. I, I don't know if I, I've spent, maybe I've met Charlie probably minimum three times, maybe 10 if I was being generous. Um, I only saw him at work when we were in town. And I have met people over my 45 years of broadcast. I have met people like that. And if somebody would come into my studio and say, Glenn, you know, Joe, so-and-so just passed away. Most times I would say, Who, who's that? Oh, he's so-and-so, he works at, and then I would remember. Charlie made such an impression on me that when somebody came in, even though I, I, I would be honored if he would have called me a friend, I don't consider myself, you know, a friend. I knew who he was. Because each time I met him, he was so different and so genuine. He was just a decent guy. And in a industry where there are so few decent people, he stood out. Quite frankly, as does almost everybody that works at WoWo. There's something in the water in Indiana. And I just want the family at WoWo to know and the people who have gotten up and listened to that voice for 30 years. Those of us at Mercury in the Glenn Beck program mourn with you today. It's Thursday, August 16th. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. All right, let's get to work. We have been telling you about Antifa for a while. I've done chalkboards on it. If you haven't seen the chalkboard, go to my YouTube page and look for the Antifa chalkboard. You want to know who they are? You want to know what the history is? Uh, They are radicals. They are communists. They are anarchists. They believe in the overthrow of the United States government create enough anarchy uh, to be able to pull this government down so a new communist government can start. These are the people from, remember the World Trade Organizations where they used to have to fence these people in uh, because they were just, they would, they would burn your city to the ground when the World Trade Organization would come. That's who Antifa is. Those are the same people. Extraordinarily dangerous. The press has given them a pass 
because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. If you're against conservatives, and, and I want you to understand, they're not against conservatives for, for any other reason other than this. Conservatives believe in the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution was born out of the Age of Enlightenment. The Age of Enlightenment is the Age of Reason, Science, Everything that everything that came out of the dark ages where it was all about fear and somebody ruling and you could be snatched off the street at any time and you were under the thumb of whoever had power. All of that stuff went away when the candle of reason was lit and people said, no, wait a minute. Hang on. Let's think this through and let's use science and let's use facts and reason and let's figure this out. That's what gave birth to this civilization. And because the Constitution is a product of that enlightenment of what is called the modern era. And because they believe everything that has happened in the modern era has been oppressive, you know, unlike everything in the Dark Ages. That it must be torn down. So the only reason why they can hate police or they can hate you or conservatives or or the media is because it was created in the modern era and it has kept it propped up. Now, the media is so foolish to think that, oh, well, we're just like you. No, you're not. You are probably a deep progressive, maybe a socialist. Uh, maybe you don't, maybe there's parts of the country you don't like or the constitution that you don't like. Maybe, maybe that's not who Antifa is. And they will drag the people out on the streets that are sitting in CNN and covering for them. Believe me, they will go in and they will drag those people out in the streets and beat them to death just as fast as they do it to me. That's who Antifa is. They're not an anti-hate group. They're a communist and anarchist group, period. Violence is the way they make change. Benny Johnson was out. He's uh, with the Daily Caller, and he went out to uh, talk to Antifa, which they don't like to do very much. But they did talk to him, and he asked the question, if Donald Trump was here, what would you do? People said we should Gaddafi him as if I can quote it exactly, if I if memory serves me right, uh, as long as it's a group thing, as long as we're all in on it, it should, we should Qaddafi him, meaning we should pull him out, don't have a trial, just drag his body in the streets until he dies. So Benny talked to these people. All of them were threatening the president. He's on with us now. Benny Johnson, welcome to the program. How are you? Thank you, Glenn. I'm doing great. Uh, so you uh, yesterday, Secret Service came uh, to your offices to look at the tape, get the tape and, you know, see if they were going to pursue anything. We don't know what the Secret Service is going to do. Hopefully they are watching a lot of these people. That's why they mask their face. Um, but uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about a, what don't we know about Antifa that we should and B, uh, the, the longstanding history of CNN in particular, um, uh, excusing Antifa. 
Yes. So the two are connected. I believe the two are intertwined and it's important to understand one so you can understand the other. The, uh, the point of not covering Antifa is because there is such a confirmation bias on the left that per, if you're against uh, the neo-Nazis or the white supremacists, then you're on the right. You're, you're on the right side of history. You are correct. Chris Cuomo said as much on his show this week. Uh, that's not true. And that confirmation bias leads to a major default, Glenn, in reporting. So there's not many reporters who go and do proper journalism on Antifa to show the kind of tactics they're using, the kind of tactics you just spoke about, which are extremely violent. I only spent 40 minutes with Antifa this weekend, and I got five death threats on the president. Just 40 minutes. Five death threats. You'd think that would be a very easy journalistic uh, 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 story. You'd think that that would be very important. Uh, story to tell in order to actually tell the truth about this group. But they, journalists do not want to cover this. They believe that they would be doing harm to their own progressive and resistance movements that they're a part of. And so Antifa, by and large, gets completely ignored, brushed under the rug by mainstream journalism. So do they, think, been- that, do they think that they're not a threat I mean, you know, some people will be like, ah, they're not really a threat. I know these people. So do they think that or do they just not want to recognize it because it puts them in cognitive dissonance? So let's talk about that cognitive dissonance. Let's 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 have a little thought experiment here. If a Trump supporter or better yet, let's try the Tea Party. If a Tea Partier uh, in 2010 were to have grabbed the camera of a reporter, oh, yeah. said F, F you to the reporter, thrown the mm-hmm. camera on the ground, cut the camera cables, mm-hmm. then that would be a month-long news cycle. It might be a year-long news cycle. Oh, yeah. Would, would have been, would be forever, would, it, it would have been all of the proof that they needed to show that we were violent and out of control. Precisely. If a, if a Vox.com or a Think Progress reporter had asked Tea Partiers what they would do if they met President Obama, and they all said they'd murder him, and they'd do him like Gaddafi, then again, this would be a a, a, a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, month-long news cycle about the hatred inside the Tea Party. And no one knows the Tea Party better than you, Glenn. However, you have NBC News reporters just this weekend having that exact same thing happen. NBC News had one of their crews in Charlottesville, their cameras were grabbed, they were told to F off. Their cameras were thrown on the ground. Their reporters were assaulted. Their reporters were harassed. An absolute attack on, on journalism, on the freedom of the press. And nothing, Glenn, nothing. NBC News didn't even cover their own reporters' assault. The same thing happened with ABC. ABC had their camera cables cut. Thousands of dollars worth of damages. A woman came up and sliced the cables so that they couldn't video her. Nothing on ABC, not a single report on their own reporters getting assaulted by Antifa. Okay, so so Benny, here's here's where we have to take this because this is just um, this is just an exercise in frustration. We know the press is bad. We know they're slanted. We know they're not covering uh, Antifa. We 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 know all of this. So what do we do? What do we do besides turn off mainstream television? Just turn them off. Stop watching them. Stop. Yes, and, and I, I agree. And thank, thank goodness, even though it's, it's under attack and we're on shaky territory with social media platforms right now, 
and the deplatforming of conservative ideas and principles. I believe that it's been very important to watch the virality of these kind of clips. It's, it's amazing what happens when you just tell a true story. So if you tell a true story and let these people speak in their own words, then you get Secret Service in my office uh, uh, taking my videos of, of these people, and hopefully that'll affect change. Hopefully it won't be smiled upon to say you want to murder the president. And this video has been seen by millions and millions of people around the country. Even though the mainstream media blacked it out, I haven't got a single request to go on MSNBC, a single request to go on CNN. I haven't seen this covered uh, at all for center-left publications. However, the center-right, Fox News, yourself, people like, people like Rush, uh, have really, uh, the, the person who started the Daily Caller, Tucker Carlson, it is proven that conservatives have been able to do an end around on mainstream media, and millions and millions of people have now seen this. And, and thank you, Glenn, for, for playing it and bringing attention to it on your program. Uh, Benny, one quick question, uh, and then we'll let you go. Um, you know, you mentioned the squashing of conservative voices. I was with Ben Shapiro last night, and uh, it was a uh, quite an interesting conversation. It was a private conversation, but um, there is growing concern, um, real concern, that we've crossed a threshold of some sort, and uh, our voices could quickly go away. Do you sense that in conservative media that that is starting to uh, come to more and more people as, wow, th- I think this is a reality? Yes, there was a there was a report uh, about the reach of President Trump's Facebook. President Trump's Facebook reach has but been cut in half and even more uh, since this report was filed. People on the campaign shared some of this data uh, with Breitbart, and this report was shocking. He's a sitting president of the United States. Anyone in conservative publishing has seen an enormous backlash and uh, delineation of reach uh, for their contents. I've worked for multiple conservative publishers, including yours, including The Blaze. Yep. Um, And everyone who actually has their finger on the pulse knows that conservative content uh, does not have the same kind of reach that it had just a year ago or two mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are seeing you are seeing conservative publishers being targeted, uh, not just on Facebook, on Twitter, of course. Like the, the, the shadow bans just happen to, uh, to occur to only Republicans, to only conservatives, people on the right. Uh, I believe that deplatforming is a very scary thing. And here's why, Glenn, because uh, if you get to a point where someone is, deciding what hate speech is, which I'm sure is what Ben was very concerned yep, about. Yep. Uh, if Ben says that there's only two genders and that transgenderism is a mental illness, mm-hmm. that is a, that it, by, by every measure of every leftist I know, that would be considered a hate speech. Right. And so wh- when does it happen to Glenn? When yep. does it happen to Glenn? When does it happen to Ben? Wh- wh- I mean, wh- who determines what the hate speech is? Benny, thank you so much. Benny Johnson, uh, reporter for The Daily Caller. Um, let us know any updates that you have on uh, uh, Antifa. We're, um, we're watching them closely as well. Thank you for your hard work and your willingness to go into that crowd. Let me tell you about our sponsor this half hour. It is Goldline. They have an amazing new product. By the way, if you just tuned in, make sure you grab the podcast today um, uh, because we had a guest on about what 90 minutes ago, almost two hours ago now. Uh, and uh, he's really respected, uh, used to work for Stratfor and, um, uh, you know, is a guy who looks at, you know, the complicated mess that is this world 
to look for places of danger. Uh, and uh, he's written a really great article. We went over it in the first hour of the broadcast uh, about the collapsing of currency around the world. Not ours. Ours is getting stronger. Everything else is starting to collapse. If this trend continues, it's not going to work out well uh, because of all of the debt that these countries hold all in dollars. And we're talking about the possible currency collapse of Mexico. Uh, not going to be good. And it could trigger um, a change in everything. So I want you to call Goldline. I want you to ask him about something that they had made by the Royal Canadian Mint. I uh, brought this idea to him a few years ago. We made him originally in gold. But if if this really happens, gold is going to be so much by the 20th of an ounce that it's not going to be even reasonable to use, uh, you know, in, in that form. So silver would be a lot a lot better and silver is really cheap right now so this is uh the maple flex bar made by the royal canadian mint and it's meant to snap it apart and there you go snap it apart and you break it up into uh the different pieces so you could barter or or use it as currency you can see that they have like video of how you do this because i think hearing it on the radio i don't know how to describe you're actually breaking apart a piece of silver and these yeah. little it's really cool and they're all they're they're all like individual i don't know square coins yeah. if you will yeah. from uh, you know they they're all marked uh by the royal canadian mint they got you know uh queen elizabeth's face on it which is you know she's it's always it's always hot to have Queen Elizabeth in your pocket. You're a big Elizabeth fan. Big Elizabeth head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, get, get them now. You can only get them at uh, Goldline. Find out about them. They're the Maple Flex Bar at Goldline now. Read all the important risk information, but call them now and find out about it. It is 1-866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE, or goldline.com. I don't know how the Catholic Church survives. Have, have, have you heard that the Catholic Church now in Pennsylvania... Um, police now say there were 300 predator priests over a thousand cases of child molestation some of it horrible uh, I mean all of it horrible but some of it unbelievably horrible and that they were grooming these kids the priests were grooming them and marking the kids for other priests to know how that kid he's being groomed on the other hand the pope is all over global warming though so he's got that going well that's 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 and capitalism and capitalism capitalism. he'll fix those those out so catholic church man you gotta fix this back mercury this portion of the program brought to you by pooperoni Pooparoni on San Francisco streets. Yes, doesn't a big heaping steamy bowl of poop sound good to you right now? If you're in San Francisco, you bet. Now uh, they have they have uh, uh, the city of San Francisco has come up with a way to uh, to to get their hands around all the poop uh, in San Francisco, and they have now uh put you know a five person crew out several of these poop patrols uh for san francisco and man i you know i don't know if that's the government job that you know you could get if you go you know democratic socialist i could get a guaranteed 15 dollar an hour you know look for human poop patrol job uh but that sounds that sounds like fun mm-hmm. sounds like sounds like something i i would be proud to do for my city i'm on poop patrol 
<laughs> it's kind of like a uh, neighborhood watch uh mm-hmm. a, a poop related ghostbusters in a way like you're kind of just going around patrolling the streets taking care of the problem putting him into some sort of high-tech uh containment device <laughs> i think I, there's a movie to be made there yeah. probably better than the all-female ghostbusters too well do, i think that was a, only... i think that was a, excuse me i think that was a sexist bigoted remark right there that's what i was why, going for one of the yeah. black, <laughs> because one of the ghostbusters the women were black is that why uh, were they i don't i don't know oh yeah <laughs> let's, uh, the, yeah oh yeah like i didn't know uh, mr Klansman. okay welcome to the program pat how are you i'm good, good. Uh, d- does it include like if it's dog poop do they just leave it no i don't yeah, only the human i think, I think it's only up? the human poop okay. and i don't know if you're like it could have, maybe it's a small human and yeah. it could be a big dog. I, you know, I don't know if you're like, oh, I don't mm-hmm. know. Well, Bill, come on over. Is this human poop or is this dog poop? I don't know what happens. Yeah, I think if you have a small human and big dog that go next to each other, you need a testing kit and a new, another mm-hmm. set of employees, maybe a new government agency, mm-hmm. uh, the poop testing Test agency the that would pH come in. balance of the uh, Right, and then select sample. which one was human mm-hmm. and give that to... Mm. the poop patrol for them to get rid of okay now so here's something else that they are doing they're doing pit stop toilets uh out in the streets so you know if you need a toilet there'll be an extra like pit stop toilet right there in the street like i don't porta potty type of situation kind of yeah well the but porta- a lot of classier than that <clears throat> do you see I'm that sure. in paris they're doing that urinals urinals yeah just set up in the like, middle of the streets and they look like they look like garbage garbage cans and then on the side of the garbage can is a little opening where you walk up and Oh, and so it's not like wee wee into. It's not a porta potty. So, no, it's not a porta potty at all. You're completely exposed you're completely to everybody. Exposed. They put one right it's on the sand, on the Paris. bridge of the sand. So you're there, yeah. and all the tourists are, you know, on those boats, and they're Driving all coming, by. and you are <laughs> completely exposed. pointing your compass right at <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the 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 boat. Is that because people were peeing off the yes. bridge? Is that it, well? It's because people mm-hmm. are peeing all they, over the streets. They're saying Paris. 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 the smell of urine is, is everywhere, overwhelming. Yeah. What are we turning into? And you notice what is they've been selling that ode to toilet stuff for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) It it feels like too the the porto potty experience for a a person who lives in a home is the closest you come to the homeless experience. Like when you walk when you're at a concert or sporting event and you walk into the porta potty, you feel like you've crossed the line to homelessness. No, I don't think I've, I think I maybe have done that twice. Other, if I have to use the porta potty, I go home. Concert's (laughs) over. Let's go. I'm not going into a porta potty. I'm sorry. I'm too much of a, wait a minute. I'm too much of a germaphobe. Now now you might believe that about him now, but we're talking Mm. about a former alcoholic. You're telling me you went to concerts in your alcoholic days and somehow survived the entire oh, time when without he was hitting drunk, the porta potty? He would have drank out of the <laughs> body. I love you, Mr. <laughs> urinal. You're the best urinal I've ever peed in before. You look like somebody's coffee cup. <laughs> but what are, what are the cities of San Francisco where these problems are so prevalent? San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, Seattle Paris. So all bastions so, of progressivism. So let me let me, let me, say, let me, let me ask you this question. I think conservatives need to run cities, and they run them, but mm-hmm. they they're not real fancy. They're just stripped down. They're like your base model city. Okay, mm-hmm. solid. This city is going to drive forever. You know, you can drive this city till the doors fall off. It's going to be great. And then the progressives look at it and go, "Oh, this could be such a great city if we just." I don't know. We put some flower beds in and closed a couple of streets and they come in and they make the city really beautiful. 
And then they keep coming in and then they start voting for like, you know what? Flower beds for everybody. And then all of the conservatives are like, oh, dear God, this I can't afford the taxes. And so they move away to another crappy city. And then the progressives take that city because they can't run it. You know, it's like, it's a, you know, it's like uh, you don't have the actors running the front of the house. You know, the actors do what they do. They do a nice little show and that's great. But good God, don't put them in charge of the money or the, the upkeep of the theater because it'll never happen. All right. That's what the cities are. So then they come in, they make the city really great. And we're like, how come we don't have any good cities that are conservative? Because they chase this out of those cities and then they destroy them. And then hopefully we go back in when there's poop all over and we're like, <laughs> okay, we'll clean up the poop. You just get out of here. We fix the city and it's back to, you know, a good solid Buick. And we need the liberals to come in and just make it a little nicer. Circle of poop. Yes. Mm-hmm. I think what I'm trying to say is we need each other. <laughs> we no, need to run no, the city. I totally no, disagree. With we that need analysis. to run the finances of the city. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can do all of the cool stuff that make it a nice, fun city, but no pooping. That's not a good part of the city. <laughs> no pooping. We can come up with stuff that's that makes a city fun. We, we, you know, but it's not supposed to be. There's plenty of private businesses that make cities great, right? There's plenty of them. The issue is that whether it's supposed to come from the government or not, and that's why the the the, the progressives no, no, I, love. The yeah. federal government so much because when all the conservatives with their money move out to the suburbs, the city can't charge them anymore. So right. then they have to go to the federal government so they can still get the money. Yeah, no, the, the, the thing is about <laughs> the cities, they start out in small neighborhoods. They start out and they're like, you know, all of a sudden all these you know artists move into a neighborhood and they're like, we're going to beautify this part of the city. And they do a great thing. And then it becomes the hip neighborhood. And then the conservatives are like, oh, dear God, it's going to they're going to start pooping on the streets anytime. Let's get our families out of here before it collapses. <laughs> we leave. Then they don't know how to run a city. They don't know how to make any money. And so they just are like, we need more free stuff. Then they start taking it from the government and that's causing the collapse because there's no one with common sense left anymore. Period. That's if I if you elect me president, I'm going to make sure that conservatives are in the accounting department and I'm going to make sure liberals are just, you know, you know, making things pretty, but not on government money. They're in the art department. They're in the art department. Mm-hmm. We got a sales department. We got a you know mechanical department. Mm-hmm. We have the art department Do the art thing. It's great. You make cities nice. We just don't want to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's debatable, though, if liberals have ever made a city nice. Have they? I mean, oh, really? Uh, I don't know about that. Oh, I think I think every you look at every city they've run and they've gone. They've run it into the ground. No, yeah. after a period of time. Yes. I think you're talking too broadly crazy. when you say the city is good. Like the, the city is always filled with terrible areas and horrific crime and terrible yeah. poverty. And then there's that one nice district with a few restaurants that everyone likes to go to. And, and that's cool. But so that's I, generally no- the people who generally I know this because mm-hmm. I saw it happen in Seattle. My mother used to take me. I don't know why. But when the Pike Place market was just nothing but, you know, an injection center, <laughs> uh, she used to take me. I mean, that's on the original Skid Row. 
And she would take me down there for some reason. She didn't I'm like starting you, to question this. And then she'd leave me for a few hours. And <laughs> the police would show up and bring me home. Anyway, uh, we'd go down. We'd go down with her. And because she, she would always say, I want you to just look at this. Look at this architecture. Look what this could be. And they were thinking about tearing it down. And it was the artsy fartsy people that actually saved that. And they went in and they put their money in and they started, you know, selling, I don't know, weed. And, and uh, it yeah. a beautiful place where the carcasses of dead fish get thrown through the sky. <laughs> yes. And everyone goes to see it. Right. Mm-hmm. And now it's nothing but <laughs> dead fish being thrown at each other and poop <laughs> on the streets. But for a while there, there was this magic moment where there was a yin and a yang and it all worked. Hmm. We're trying to divorce our yang. <laughs> You need your yang. Okay. You need the yang. And, you know, that's it. That's it. I'm just saying. You want a t shirt with that on it? Yep. We need you, our we yang. We need our yang. We need our I yang. I think that's a good Glenn Beck merchandise I opportunity. Is. I mm-hmm. think it is. You know, keep your poop, but uh, we need our yang. We need our yang. <laughs> you keep your poop. We need the yang. So, anyway. <laughs> Pat, what's on your mind? <laughs> so hard to top. We need our yang. Yeah, yeah. Where do you go for, mm-hmm. from here? Uh, Twitter CEO kind of caved in on the uh, Alex Jones thing, at least temporarily, and did suspend him, like put him in a timeout. Uh, I, I love his uh, statement, though, when he when he finally caved, because, you know, I know you were, you were just talking about whether or not uh, conservative conservatives are going to be able to continue to have a voice in the media because we're being banned and suspended everywhere. And the algorithms have been changed on Facebook to avoid conservative traffic. And now they're just banning people. And as much as I can't stand Alex Jones, this is a really bad thing what's happening to him. Uh, I, it's just... He's not the only one. And he's not the only one. And they're going to come for the rest of us. And so if you, didn't, if you didn't say anything when they came for Alex Jones because you can't stand Alex Jones, you're going to regret it because it's eventually going to be you. It, it is. Uh, so... Uh, Jack Dorsey said, I feel any suspension, whether it be a permanent or a temporary one, makes someone think about their actions and behaviors. Uh, so I guess he's our parent now. I guess Facebook and Twitter so, are going to function as did you, did you parents. S- did you see what f- you see what Facebook did? By the way, uh, they just got in bed with China. I think it's is it Facebook or is Twitter? I think it's Facebook. That just got into bed with China, and they are. Or is it Google? I should have this story before I tell you. Is Friendster and MySpace are both in bed, right? With China. And no, Napster. but they're no. They've oh just gotten in bed too. to yeah. uh, with China to edit the internet, so they could get their entrance into that market. Mm. They've just partnered wow. to be editors of the internet for the government. Really? That's, that's, that's just so dangerous. Why would you so do dangerous. that other than greed? I you mean, know, especially if it's Google, uh, don't be evil comes to mind. And, and, and the hypocrisy of these guys. Uh, Jack Dempsey, the nerve of him to be talking about people thinking about their behaviors when Twitter is the most toxic, vile uh, <laughs> platform in the history of the planet. I mean... I think, I think Twitter is is responsible for about eighty percent of the increased hate we have in this country. All you see is hatred and nastiness on Twitter because you can well, you, you can say it Twitter. without people seeing you. You can say it in the comfort and privacy of your underwear in your basement, uh, uh, your parents' basement at you home. Just skip the hate. 
Just skip the hate. I don't get it. That's why the only the the only account I follow is at Pat Unleashed, because I <laughs> oh, never I never yeah. get hate yeah. there. Hey, or, one th- or Pat. <laughs> yeah, or Pat. Uh, one thing I do want to <laughs> one thing I do want to address, uh, and we're going to have to do this tomorrow, is the latest from Facebook. A uh, an executive at Facebook has come out and said, if you don't if you don't join with us, if you don't play by our rules, oh yeah. Then you will gonna, find yourself in hospice as a business. Yeah, you're going to die. You're going to die. That sounds like a threat. Yeah. Doesn't sound like a, you know, a good business relationship, <laughs> no, does it? Doesn't. What are you going to do? Zip Recruiter, our sponsor of the Sapphire Hour. Thanks, Pat. Pat, uh, the Pat Gray program is coming up on the Blaze Radio Network uh, just uh, about uh, 12 minutes from now. Hiring is a challenge. I mean, how do you think I ended up with patents, too? It's hard. I know. I know. Well, we the, the poop patrol closed down in our town, so we needed a job. <laughs> uh, this really is one step above. above. Oh, I mean above. <laughs> All patrol. right. So anyway, ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter.com slash Beck. I want you to try this for free. If you're running a, a small business, or I mean, this is used by you know Fortune 100 companies as well. ZipRecruiter. Uh, goes the extra step. You can, you know, post your job on a hundred different websites. Then they'll take care of that with just one click. But then they go the extra mile. They have this matching technology, and it will scan thousands of resumes to find the right person with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. So you don't have to just hope that the right person happens to see your ad. They're going out and finding the right people. Then when the applications come in, they analyze each one and they they highlight the top candidates so you never miss the right match for you. ZipRecruiter, so effective, 80% of the clients get a, uh, a top quality candidate through the door in the very first day. ZipRecruiter, highest rated hiring site in America. Try it for free. ZipRecruiter.com Exclusive web address ZipRecruiter.com Slash Beck That's ZipRecruiter.com Slash Beck The smartest way to hire Glenn Beck This portion of the program Not sponsored by Pooperoni But apparently we paid a lot of money For the jingle So I want to get a use out of it well, One more time please uh, Sarah Poop On San Francisco streets Actually the real reason to play that is I want that running through your head all day I want you, well, you're in a meeting or you're doing something important. I just want you to just just to have poop aroni on San Francisco streets. Yeah. Our, our best case scenario is you're in the middle of a meeting and you actually sing it out loud. Right. Like that's what we want to right. happen. Uh, or you just start to laugh and somebody's like, uh, what are you laughing about? And you're like, oh, it's pooperoni jingle. And nobody in the room knows what you're talking mm-hmm. about. That's our ultimate goal. That's our goal. Yeah. What, so. How does it sound, though? I don't, I don't think I've heard it. Oh, you haven't it. heard it? No. I, oh, yeah. I didn't have my headphones yeah. on. Here's it, here it is. on San Francisco streets. By the way, uh, make sure that you uh, uh, check out the podcast of the news and why it matters from uh, last night. Ben Shapiro joined us. It was a great podcast. Find it at Apple iTunes. We'll see you at 5 o'clock. Call-in show today. Mercury.